Good morning, Harlem. It's good to see everyone. Back from being scattered abroad the city. They got the show, they got the stage all done up for us too, right? Mighty theatric, theatrical for our return to Harlem. Uh, let's go to God with the word of prayer. I do have a message that I believe uh, will encourage us and get our hearts and minds ready for this upcoming holiday season. Let's pray. Our great and awesome Father, we thank you uh, for giving us a warm place to worship you, for uh, opening the doors uh, to your heart, God, to allow us in uh, as we've opened up our hearts, allowing you in, Father. We're just so grateful uh, that we get to be uh, in this city, in this country, in this time, where we get to have our word, your word, uh, encourage our hearts, God, where we can have an open relationship with you, where we can uh, openly profess our faith and live it out, God. We know that that was not always, uh, that was not always um, allowable for Christians, and we're just so grateful uh, that we live in a place where we can actually share the good news. Uh, Father, I do pray that my words will be yours. God, I pray that you will help our hearts and our minds to be prepared for this upcoming holiday season. For some of us, it's a time of joy and happiness, and for others, it's a time of deep sadness and loneliness, God. And we just pray that you help our hearts to be open to all. Uh, we love and thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I am ready for this year to be over. I already feel myself slipping into holiday mode, right? Uh, I think around November, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of all. All right, so don't don't judge me on that. I know that's a. Uh, I love to eat, and I love to eat good food. Sometimes Christmas brings a lot of stress, especially shopping. And you all know what I'm talking about. Everybody, everybody got a discount, and everybody has coupons, and everybody's rushing to take advantage of those discounts and to take out those coupons, and and you're caught right in the middle of it. Your little Christian self, trying to be good, trying to be godly. I've already had my heels ran over by shopping carts twice in one day by two different women. And I'm like, what's the rush? Stuff ain't going nowhere. You know, and, and people are already, and you know, I'm just, I just want to take a long three-day nap. Is that all right? Take a nap in Jesus. Like, I just want to embrace my salvation with a long nap and just meditate for three days with my eyes closed on a nice warm bed. But, you know, sometimes we can get really distracted by the holiday season. We can get really distracted, and, and oftentimes we want to take a vacation from our mission. And... You know, we started off the year talking about loving our neighbor. We talked about loving each other. We, we, we stressed the importance of being in one another's lives, and we talked about uh, the one another's and the importance of being in a covenant relationship. And we're going to end off the year talking about that next week, so I just want to prepare you for that, uh, just to remind us of how we started the year. You know, we started about relationships, and it's always about relationships when it comes to God. Always about relationships. And so today I do want to talk about loving your neighbor. That's the title of my message. It's simply love your neighbor. 
And you're like, well, James, you know, that's, that's not as catchy, but look, it's Bible. That's what Jesus said, right? The second greatest commandment is what? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, for some of us, we may be thinking, that's right, you need to love me. I'm especially talking to you. Because you have that attitude for a reason, because you haven't been loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Now, some of us may be thinking, yeah, you know, you're right, Jay, I do need to love more people. Amen. You can listen. But I want to talk to the ones who are like, yeah, you need to love me. Because I think what ends up happening is that we get so caught up in ourselves, in our own world, that we forget we're supposed to love other people. Yes, you do deserve to be loved. You do deserve to be uh, considered. But you also have to do that with other people. That's what makes us human is that we don't get caught up in our own lives, that we acknowledge those that are around us. The happiest people are those who are able to love others while graciously receiving love for themselves. And Jesus was the best example of this. You know, Jesus never walked around Jerusalem saying, love me, love me, love me. What did Jesus do? He loved others. And by loving others, People fell in love with Jesus. And that's the Jesus way. Luke chapter 19. We're going to spend some time here in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, starting in verses 41 to 42. You know, I love this story about Jesus. And I always imagine if, if Jesus came to New York, where would he come? And I thought, I think Jesus would come to Harlem. And that's not just because I'm in Harlem. Because I grew I was born and raised in Brooklyn. But I honestly believe that if Jesus came back and he had started it and he was looking for 12 men, I mean, come on, we can go fishing right down by the Hudson. You may not like what comes out of the water, but at least we can fish by the Hudson. So I believe the whole fisherman thing can fit right into his story. But I believe Harlem is prime for a Savior to come and, 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 and inspire some men to turn the world upside down right here from Harlem. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You know, my goal this morning is to inspire you to love the people in your city the way Jesus loved the people in his city. To do something about the spiritual condition of the people in this great city the way Jesus did in his city. And I believe that we can do this one neighbor at a time. I absolutely believe it. You know, Jesus wanted to bring peace to the people in this city. And unfortunately, his neighbors rejected Jesus. They rejected his attempts to bring them peace. He said he wept because he, he was saying it's right here in front of you. Right here. And, you know, I believe it's like, it's like watching someone dying of a terminal illness and the cure is right there in front of them and they refuse to take it. Jesus said, I'm right here. All the prophets have been talking about me. All the miracles, all the healing, all the things that I've done was to help you to see 
that the Savior, the Messiah, has come. But they rejected. They rejected, and it broke his heart that they were so close to having peace in their lives, and they couldn't see it. You know, Jesus went to a place called Jerusalem, which is interesting because Jerusalem has peace as part of the meaning of its name. It can be translated possession of peace or foundation of peace. But sadly, the people of the city of peace was blind to the prince of peace. And I want to encourage us in Harlem to not be blind to the prince of peace. You know, it's funny enough, I decided, you know, let me look up the meaning of Harlem. What does it mean, the name Harlem? And I know it's a Dutch, it has its roots in Dutch. You know, Harlem was, was a, a part of a Dutch colony years, many, many, many years ago, right? So I went on, I went on, you know, on the Google. And according to a site, Mom360, 365, you know, baby name site, because not much came up, the name Harlem means does well in the face of adversity, peacemaker. And I sat there for a minute, I was like, what? Peacemaker. Is this a coincidence? I believe that this is divine intervention right here. That God put a church of true believers, of people who have received peace, into a community whose name means peacemaker. So it only makes sense to me that the church lives up to its name. And that we become peacemakers in a community that so deeply needs and desires peace. Imagine if every home, if every apartment, and every tenant building in Harlem had peace in that home. Imagine if you walked into a building and you just, you just felt the peace. You could see the peace on, on the people's faces as they come in and out. And as you get on the elevator, you don't feel fear, but instead you feel peace. You go into your local bodega and you order your chopped cheese and the guy's making it with, with happiness because there's peace in his life. You go shopping and no one's running over the back of your heels because they're over-concerned and they're stressed out about getting the right gifts. They're happy just to receive the gift of peace. Imagine how good it feels to you after you've received peace. First between you and God, and then peace in your home. You know, you can go to work, you can get stressed out on the way to work, on the way home from work. But when you turn that key in that door, and you open that door, and you set foot into that apartment, peace comes over you. I left those crazy people behind. <laughs> I can go make me a hot cup of tea, hot cup of coffee, hot cup of cocoa, whatever you like. Because peace has come over you. Now imagine Jesus being the foundation of that home. Not only do you have peace from your day, but now you have peace for your soul. You get to enjoy everything a little bit more because there's peace at home 
where you and your husband and your wife used to fight and go at each other's house, there's peace now in your marriage. When you and your kids were going at each other's throats and yelling and screaming, now there's peace in your home. When you and your siblings or your roommates were once at odds, and now there's peace because Jesus had entered your life. You can't tell me that's not something everybody wants in their life. You know, Jesus loved his city. He loved it so much that it broke his heart to see how lost and far from God it was. He felt sadness for his city. His heart was filled with compassion for his city. I think sometimes, what do you, what do you see when you look at Harlem? Some people have gotten angry over the past few years because of the gentrification that's happened. And instead of compassion and opportunity, they see anger and frustration and bitterness and resentment. Jesus would see opportunity. Because the people that are coming in also need him just as much as the ones that are leaving. They still need peace. When Jesus looked at his city, he saw people who were harassed and helpless by each other and by demonic forces that they couldn't see working behind the scenes. Jesus saw the true condition of his city. And their pain moved him. And he longed to fill the emptiness in their lives with purpose and fulfillment. You know, I love telling people that I, 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 I serve Harlem. You know, when people, oh, you're in Harlem? What? You know, you, wherever I go, I get that, you know, so, you know, people introduce you, say, yeah, James, and they add a little oomph to it. You know, I don't, I don't do it. They just say, yeah, James, they need the Harlem region. Like, Harlem, what? You from Harlem? And, you know, people want to, because Harlem has this reputation of being tough and, and rough and, 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 whoa, if you make it in Harlem, you can make it anywhere. And I'm like... When's the last time you've been to Harlem? There's no biker gangs riding around terrorizing Harlem. I mean, the last riot was in 1965. But, you know, it's like people, hey. And then, you know, truth be told, there is some toughness to being in Harlem. Like, you become resilient when you live in, in, in an area like this. You've got to be resourceful. You've got to know how to roll with things. You've got to know how to let things you know, just dust your shoulder off and get back up. I mean, some of us have gone through some hard times in Harlem. And it's really shaped our faith. It's built our character. We got street smart that other people have to go to school and watch videos and all sorts of stuff to get. That comes natural for people in Harlem. When people come to Harlem and they go through our family for a while and been in Harlem for years and then they go somewhere else, they're like, man, I miss Harlem because the people love me for who I am. And not for what I can do. That's who we are. We are peacemakers. Marriages have come here broken and were healed. Lives came here shattered and were fixed because we allowed God to work through us without even realizing the impact we were having on lives. Because that's who we are. We are peacemakers. We're people who bring peace to those who desperately need it. If we're going to love our neighbors the way Jesus loved his, I think there are three things I want to encourage us to do and be mindful of. One, keep your eyes open. You got to keep your eyes open. You got to be able to see what's going on around you. 
Don't be so focused on your life that you ignore what's going on around you. Two, keep your heart open. You never know when God is going to need to use it. And number three, keep your mouth open. I think that's probably the biggest challenge for some of us, is opening our mouths when we need to. Amen? Let's look at the first one. Keep your eyes open. In Luke 19, verse 41, it says, As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. You know, there are one or two ways we can approach our city. There's a lot to love about Harlem, and there's a whole lot to hate about Harlem. Now, if you focus on all the trash and all the nonsense that are out there in the street, then you, you can easily harden your heart towards Harlem. Jesus chose not to focus on that, though. When Jesus saw his city, when he approached it, he didn't approach it as a, t- a tourist. He approached it as the Savior. When Jesus approached Jerusalem, he was moved to tears by what he saw because he saw the true spiritual condition. He saw Jerusalem for what it could become, which is why it broke his heart to see that they settled for mediocrity instead of greatness, which God had desired for his people. What do you see when you look at Harlem? When you're standing at the bus stops, when you get off the train, what do you see? When you go into your apartments, when you go in your neighborhoods, What do you see? And how do you feel about what you see? Does it move you to tears? Or does it stir something in your heart like I'm ready to get out of New York? Here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with leaving New York. I want to challenge you to leave someone behind if you do. If you're going to go somewhere else, then make a disciple and leave them to carry on the work that you left unfinished. Because there are people who need Jesus. It's not about us being comfortable. Look, you can go, you can buy a house, and amen, the Lord be with you. Wherever you go, where the grass is green, just make sure that you're taking Jesus with you. I know it's expensive here too. Some of us are trying to stay in where we're at. Some people had to move because the rent is going up. They're trying to prepare for a more uh, wealthier age group. Millennials in the house. But one of the things that I love when I come into this city is I see people who know something needs to change in their life. That's one thing you can appreciate about being in Harlem. People keep it real. I've had so many conversations with people who say, yo, man, I, I know my life is messed up. I'm like, all right, well, then that's half the, story. That's half the conversation right there. So then let's talk about how to turn that around. But you don't have to worry about people being phony here. They, they keep it real. What you see is what you get. You don't have to worry about whining and dining people and, 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 and smoozing people and, and, and trying to, you know, it's like, no, this is, look, this is who I am. This is who I am. And you got to appreciate that. You know, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, In Mark chapter 9, verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. I think sometimes Christians are focused so much on us being the ones that are harassed. Jesus said, no, they are harassed and helpless. I thought that was interesting. Because Jesus himself was harassed. His disciples were harassed by the Pharisees and the religious people of that time. 
But instead, Jesus saw the people as harassed and helpless. You know, when we're inward focused, we think that we're the ones harassed and helpless. You're never helpless when you got the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You're never helpless when you got the Word of God at your fingertips. You're never helpless when you got a church of believers who will show up at your door even when you don't want them to. I didn't see you in church. Now, you might feel harassed, but sometimes we need to be harassed. I didn't see you at midweek. You still believe in that? Bro, I feel harassed. Well, you ain't helpless because I'm here to help you. But Jesus saw that people were harassed. Have you ever stopped to think, man, why do people act the way they do? Like, like, seriously, like, you know, what was this person thinking? Why does people act like this? Maybe it's because there's something going on in their lives. And they're so frustrated, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't have what you have. They don't have a brother or sister that they can sit down in the Starbucks and open up a Bible with them and, and share it and pray with them. They're just trying to figure out life. They're navigating, tripping over themselves in the darkness. They can't figure it out. We can't forget the darkness that we were once a part of. Jesus looked at them. He saw, man, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. He had the right perspective. He saw people as they were for what they really needed. And by saying that, Jesus pointed out that the harvest is never the problem. It's the workers that are few. It's not that there aren't open people out there. It's not that there aren't hurting people out there. It's just not enough people caring about it. Problem is a lack of compassion. In John chapter 4, verse 35, John chapter 4, verse 35, it says, Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. You know, have you ever convinced yourself that there aren't any open peoples after several failed attempts at sharing your faith? The New York metropolitan area is the most populous area in the United States. That's the tri-state. There are 20 million souls in the New York metropolitan area. And Manhattan alone is 1.6 million people, almost half of whom live in Harlem. The Bronx, 1.4 million. Brooklyn, 2.5 million. Queens, 2.2 million. Staten Island, 500,000, over 500,000. There's so many people in New York, we're literally tripping over each other. You go to Times Square, you can barely get through. You go down by Macy's on 34th Street, you barely, you can, I mean, you're like this. You don't know which way, and God forbid if there are four people walking in a row, taking up a whole block, now you're like, I mean, with so many people, we're literally tripping over each other. You go down to 125th Street, God forbid you go to Whole Foods, you're like bumping people, bumping you with their bags and also, I mean, the harvest is plentiful. But what keeps us from seeing the harvest the way Jesus does? Apathy, I think, is one thing that can keep us. The suppression of emotions such as concern, excitement, motivation, and passion. 
An apathetic individual has an absence of interest in or concern about the emotional, social, spiritual, philosophical, or physical needs of others. In other words, they just don't care. Selfishness. More concerned about our own interests and needs while ignoring those of others. Laziness. Just unwilling to do the work. Let somebody else do it. I'm tired. I had a long day. I'm busyness. Some of us just fill up our lives and schedules and just have no time for people. We want to. We just don't know how we're going to fit it in. You know, your focus becomes your purpose. Whatever you choose to focus on, that's exactly what you'll do. Jesus chose to keep his eyes fixed on the loss. You know, and if we're people that keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, then we'll see people the way Jesus sees people. Number two, keep your heart open. In Matthew chapter 9, you guys still with me, right? Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when Jesus saw the spiritual state of his city, he allowed himself to feel their pain. Paul even talks about this in his letter to the Corinthians about becoming all things to all men. And you know, before we write people off, we need to try to connect with people's pain. And the only way I can think about that is to having conversations with people. Because otherwise, you can look at somebody and make your judgment and you'll never speak to that person. You can look at somebody with a smile on their face and just assume that all is well in their life. And that person would be screaming for help inside. You know, you can think about somebody who has this mean frown on their face and, 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 and just don't want, you know, want anybody to touch it, got this look on their face like, leave me alone, don't ask me nothing, don't, 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 you know, and, and you just assume that that person is not open. And so we don't say anything. You know, I had to challenge myself that Wherever I go, I'm going to look for the most intimidating person in the room, and that's who I'm going to talk to. And it's not because I want to try to prove, prove that I'm, you know, it's because I know me. And I know that I can judge people by what I see. And I also know that I was that guy with that frown on his face, like, don't talk to me, don't ask me nothing, until someone was bold enough to look past that, show some compassion, and say, hey, would you like to study the Bible? You know, the first person that reached out to me was Lawrence Pintard. And most of, you, most of you young guys don't know who he is, but Lawrence was probably the happiest guy on the planet. And he was making some sort of, sort of pitch. I think he had a little side gig. He's always hustling something. He's always hustling. That brother's always working. So I'm at the hardware store in the Bronx, minding my own business, mind you. I wasn't bothering anybody. And you know, when you grow up in the inner city, you kind of have to look like, yo, don't, that's just kind of the look we have. Because if you look too happy, you might become a victim, all right? So I just had that, you know, had that, that, that hood look on. And I go into the, to the hardware store, and I'm standing there like, and here's this guy smiling, you know, and talking. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, who is this dude? And he goes, hey, man. Looking like, who's he talking to? He said, hey, man, you, you go to church? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I go with my mother. 
And I did, uh, you know, try to shut it down. Because I, I ain't about all that. And he just keeps going. And I'm like, yo, who is this? I'm like, yo. And so he's like, hey, man, you know, you know, my name's Lawrence. I go to this great church, and, you know, we meet at so-and-so. And, you know, I'm thinking, all right, you know, so I'm listening, and I'm kind of not listening. And, you know, I'm trying to get in and get out. And, and so he asked me for my phone number. And I just gave it to him. I just wanted him to shut up and leave me alone. I was not open. All right? Let me make that very clear. I was not open. But he, he persisted. He gave me his number. I gave him my number. He called me. I never called him. His phone number was showing up all over the apart- apartment until I finally decided, you know, let me just throw this thing away. I'm never going to call this guy. But he was persistent. He got what he was, ho- he was looking for. He got my phone number. That was the first step. I had no idea what God had planned for my life after that. Here we are, you're minding your business. I mean, how many of us have been met by a total stranger before coming to this church? Look around, look at this. Total stranger. Right? Someone who showed some compassion. Now, what Lawrence did not know was all the nonsense that was going on in my life at the time. The hurt that I was going through, the anger, the frustration I was going through at that time. But he saw past that. And he chose to extend an invitation anyway. He chose to, to go the step beyond. He didn't take no for an answer. And I think it's too easy for those of us who have eternity, the answer to eternal salvation in our hands, to take no for an answer. And he had no idea that I was hurting inside crying out for someone to talk to. But because I had to be rough and tough and hard, I didn't open up. But I thank God that he used him to start that walk, that path that would eventually lead to me becoming a disciple of Jesus. Now here's the thing about hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. You get what I'm saying right there? Hurt people hurt other people. When you're hurt, you lash out. There's a lot you're going through. There's a lot of frustration. You're cold. You're distant. You're abrasive. And somewhat, and, and, you know, if someone doesn't call it, call it out sooner or later, you become very toxic to be around. But even in all that, when Jesus looked at the people in his city, he saw the truth behind all that. They're harassed and helpless. They can't help themselves. You know, when a hurt person doesn't have anyone to talk to, anyone to turn to, they lash out. It's like an injured animal. You say an injured animal is one of the worst animals to approach because they're fearful. And they they attack, they lash out. We're no different when we're injured, whether it's physically or emotionally. We lash out. And they usually dislike themselves and criticize others in a misguided effort to validate themselves. To make themselves feel better, they want to criticize everyone else. And you know, if one of these injured souls throws criticism at your way, I like to call them a criticism grenade in your direction, 
We have to learn how to diffuse that with understanding and compassion. You know, part of, of considering where this is all coming from is not taking things personally. You know, sometimes we take things too personally when someone la- lashes out at us. And it's not always, it's not about you. Sometimes that pain is coming from a deeper place. And you just happen to be in the blast radius of that criticism grenade. It's not aimed at you. It's just, I'm so hurt, I, I hate the world. And you just happen to be the first person I ran into. And you know, some of the things we can do is ask ourselves, you know, I wonder what they're, what they're experiencing that's causing this type of pain. What was they, you know, I've gone through that with a family member. Lashed out, just out of the blue, and I'm thinking, well, where's all this coming from? And I was taking it personally. And it discouraged me, it hurt me, it angered me. I felt all these different emotions because I internalized it. I took it personally. But it wasn't until I stopped to think, okay, why is this happening the way it is? And decided to show compassion instead of retaliating. And that's when I heard the pain come out of his mouth. That's when I heard the story that I needed to bring clarity. Oh, this is what's going on. You know, there are a lot of people walking around the streets right now in deep pain. They're hurting. They don't know how they're going to get through next week. Maybe they just got bad news about their health. And instead of turning to prayer, they turn to alcohol or drugs or sex or violence. We can't just assume that everybody that lashes out is evil, has evil intent. Sometimes it's hurting. Sometimes it's pain. And when Jesus saw the people in his city harassed and helpless, he wanted to do something about it. He wanted to try to help. You know, when I think about the most harassed and helpless people among us, I think about our teens. You know, every single day our kids go into a toxic environment. Every single day they're fighting influences on their hearts, on their minds, and eventually on their very souls. Every single day. So when they come home with an attitude, what's your first reaction? Don't you talk to me like that. Who you think you're talking to? When I was your age, if I would have spoke like that to my father or my mother, do you know what they deal with on a daily basis? Some kids are getting bullied on a bus on the way to school. And then they got to go to school and deal with those same kids and then ride home with those same kids. Standing at the bus stop waiting for a ride home is terrorizing to some teenagers. Because unfortunately, there are some kids who are out there who just only intend to harm, and they're standing there who knows, I could be the next victim. I remember in high school standing and watch a former classmate be beaten by a grown man because of a mistake that he made. He was playing around with something and accidentally hit the guy's sister who was pregnant. She walks down the street, comes back, this grown man and his friend attacks my friend. And all we could do is stand there and watch. 
I mean, this is what kids are dealing with every day. They go into school. They're trying to figure out, well, where do I fit in? Nobody here seems to believe in church. Nobody seems here to be interested in the Bible. I don't even know if I want to because if I do, then I don't know if I'm going to be made fun of, if I'm going to be the next victim, if they're going to pick a, pick a fight at me, if I'm going to be singled out. I want to believe. I'm the only disciple I know in my school. Or the only disciple in my school. There's no Christians in the school. Toxic environment every day. And when they come home, that's their safe place. And they just let it all out. Sometimes they don't, they don't let it out in the way that we like it. But hey, why do you feel that way? What's going on? Talk to me. Trying to show some compassion and understanding. You know, our home must be a place of healing and not hypocrisy. We can't be one way at church and then another way at home. That's so inconsistent and that does more damage to their faith than them going to the toxic environments in school. Because when they come home, home should be a place where they can heal, where they can receive compassion, where they can receive some, some understanding. Not the same toxic environment they go to every day. You know, I believe God is calling all of us to have compassion. I believe God, Jesus doesn't just want us to acknowledge people's condition. He wants us to do something about it. And I believe we can. God wants us to compare, he wants us to, to, to love and care of others just as somebody loved and care about us. You know, I love the passage in 2 Corinthians 3. In chapter 2, and the plane is about to land here. In chapter 3, verse 2, it says, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ. You know, Paul said that the, the people in Corinth, the disciples in Corinth, was a love letter from God. That he wanted everyone to read. That's 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 and 3. We're all letters from Christ saying, I do care. I hear your cries. I see your pain. I know your needs. Look, I'm sending one of my messages to you. They'll tell you of all the good news and show you of how I can turn a life around, how I can bring healing to anyone. Jesus wants us to be his love letters to our city. He wants us to bring peace to our city, one neighbor at a time. And lastly, keep your mouth open. In Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus says, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Do you know that before the disciples were called Christians, they were called fishers of men? That's what they did. That's what they were about. Sometimes we get, we get tired of, of, of hearing about sharing our faith. Like, That's what it's about. How else will people know about the good news unless someone tells them about it? We can't assume that people are going to find good news on Google. We can't assume that just because someone watches a televangelist on TV that their lives are going to be changed. People need to see Jesus in the flesh and blood of his true disciples. And that's where you and I come in. That's where you and I come in. You know, we saw 15 people come to Christ this year, restored and baptized. And I thank God for any much because here's what I look at. Not just the number. I'm looking at these are family members. 
These are husbands. These are wives. These are sons and daughters. You can't tell me that Tom and Martha Wood are not excited that their son became a Christian this year. You cannot tell me that Stephen Ava is not excited that peace was brought to their son, Tavon. That's what it's about. It's about bringing healing to homes, to families, to individuals who will then go and bring it to others. But we got to open our mouths. We got to talk to people. There was once a flock of pelicans that happily fished off the coast of California. One day, a fishing company began cleaning their nets, cleaning their catch at a nearby dock. When it was convenient for them to cast the discarded fish scraps into the water, the pelicans, drawn to the daily ritual, soon gave up fishing for themselves and settled into a more domesticated existence. Life was pretty good for these pelicans, at least until the fishermen discovered that there was a market for fish scraps. Abruptly, the, f- the free meals a- a ceased. Despite this regrettable change of fortune, the pelicans continued to show up every day at mealtime only to go away with empty stomachs. It wasn't long before the lack of sustenance began to take its toll. The unsightly appearance of the emaciated birds eventually drew the public's attention and experts were called in to investigate the cause of their plight. For some unknown reason, the pelicans no longer seemed to be able to access the abundance of food that teemed just below them in the sea. After a thorough investigation, it was concluded that the pelicans were starving to death because they had forgotten how to fish. Have you ever heard of anything so absurd? Pelicans were made to fish. But they had forgotten who they were and what they were made to do. Disciples were made to fish. Matthew 28 says, make disciples of every nation. If we get into the habit of not making disciples, we will eventually forget how. And our faith will starve as a result of it. You see, it's a two-way street. When we help those who need compassion and love, we in turn help our own faith to grow and stay rooted in Christ Jesus. Therefore, forgetting what we were made to do will lead to an emaciated faith and eventually an emaciated church. And then we will no longer have a church that's a peacemaker in Harlem because the disciples have forgotten how to fish. The good news can all turn around. In Philemon 6, Philemon 6, whatever how you pronounce it, my wife always gets on me about it. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ Jesus. It's only when we are active in sharing our faith that we understand just how good we got it. Just how good it is to have peace in our hearts, to have healing in our lives, to have Christ in our lives. It's only by being active and sharing our faith do we understand just what it means to walk with Jesus and the impact one person can make 
on his or her community. When we're not actively sharing our faith, we forget just how blessed we are. I want to challenge the Harlem church. Each one reach one. And that may take teamwork, but every single one of us can help one person know Jesus. Every single one of us, when we're not active, we forget our purpose. We starve our faith. We busy our lives with nonsense, with things that will not last for eternity. But when we're about our our, our purpose, things happen and God moves. The Jews responded to the message of the cross when they heard it spoken in their native tongue. You can't tell me that there are not Latinos in this nation, in this city, that needs to hear the word of God in their language. They need to hear it preached, not just on a special service, but every single week. They need to hear the gospel preached in their language, just like it did on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached to all nations. People were blown away because they heard it in their native tongue. People need to hear their language. They need to know that Jesus has a plan for their people and for their nation and for their country. Who knows? You may find Christ here and God may put it on your heart to take that message back to your country, back to your hometown, back to your village, so that everyone can get a chance. But we've got to be willing to love our neighbor. Start with where you're at and let God use you. You may be like, James, this feels like a lot of pressure. Good. Because that's how diamonds are made, with pressure. Let this be a pressure that moves you, inspires you, challenges you, changes you. But let it not be something that keeps you from loving people like you were made and designed to do. I'll close with John chapter 12, verse 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You know, I believe that in Harlem, each one can reach one. That's going to mean us dying to something. That's going to mean us dying to selfishness. That's going to mean us dying to laziness. That's going to mean us dying to fear and apathy. That's going to mean us dying to busyness. That's going to mean you looking at your life and your schedule and figuring out how can I get more people in here? How can I I create more opportunity? How can I use the gifts and talents that God has given me to help others? We are all uniquely designed for this very purpose. Helping people know Christ Jesus. For some of us, it's just as simple as being out of practice. And what do you do when you're out of practice? You start practicing again. If you're visiting with us today, I would encourage you to die to any excuse that you've made for not making Jesus Lord of your life. You know what we're about. If you've been visiting with us for more than one day, you know what we're about. We're about Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus. We don't believe in playing church because we are the church. We don't just come to church on Sunday. This isn't mass. We are the church. We take the church wherever we go. 
We believe in loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, and with all our strength. And we believe in loving our neighbor as ourselves. If that's something you want to be a part of, then stop making the excuses. You don't have to be perfect because look around. Ain't none of us perfect. None of us are perfect. So come join this imperfect community of believers who want to make peace in our city, in our time, to God be the glory.